Hello and welcome to The Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Yes, uh, hello everybody. Uh, my name is Miriam, um, a sexaholic from Ireland, as I've said, sober since uh, 2013. And um, I'm actually overwhelmed, you know. Um, I've never really been at a meeting like this with so much diversity. Um, and the length of sexual sobriety, you know, it just blows me away. And that's my legacy. That's my blessing. And that's the gift I've been given. The, the day I walked through the doors of the rooms of Sexaholics Anonymous, this is what was waiting for me. Um, this absolute gift. Uh, the solution, you know. Um, I'd just like to read a little piece from the White Book on page 63 to begin. Um, on the topic of fellowship, uh, it's called Getting Started, Step Zero. I know you're familiar with it. This is our, this is my Bible. This is this is how it all began, uh, how I began my wondrous journey in Sexaholics Anonymous. We began by meeting regularly with other members. If there is no group where we live, we start one ourselves. Even if it is meeting with only one other member. Fellowship. Is that, crucial, is that crucial to our recovery? We can't do it alone. We pray to be led to another sexaholic who will want to hear our story. Then we follow all leads that come to our attention. So just there reading the importance of fellowship, this disease is probably for me one of the loneliest diseases that, that can be imagined. You know, I had isolated hugely uh, in this disease. Um, and you know I suppose the ironic thing about all of it was I felt that nobody could see me really you know that I that I had this kind of fairly well covered up and that I was just living in this secret world where as we know it's shared in other fellowships as sick as my secrets you know I had plenty of secrets by the time I got into Sex Alex Anonymous so I began um, isolating from a very very young age I can recall living in a fantasy world as a young child. Um, and I had a particular issue with romantic fantasy. Um, always checking out, wanting to numb out, not being able to live life on life's terms. But of course, I didn't know any of this. This was my way of surviving in the world and existing in the world. And I can try to look back on that now and analyze it over and over again and it makes no difference to my behaviors understanding that piece for me was never going to be the solution i needed a way and a manner of living that was going to help me to live to my full potential uh, outside of the power that lust was having over me you know lust was my drug you know i mean i i used to in you know in before I got into SA, just to describe a little bit of, of the world I was living in, the darkness I was living in, um, lust informed my life. My life centered around lusting. And, 
as they say, every cell in my body was infused with, with lust. And I was totally unaware of that. But I was aware that there was something seriously, seriously missing in my life. That there was a huge gaping hole in my life that I could never, ever fill. And I was constantly searching, searching for that something special that I was missing in my life. That was, you know, they describe it in, in the problem, reaching out for other people, asking others to make me whole. Excuse me, I'm sorry to interrupt, Miriam, but if uh, everyone could please mute unless you're speaking. Thank you. (laughs) That's no problem. So reaching out, looking for something, some other person, and I use lust to fill that gaping void that was was in my life, you know. And I was doing that from a very, very early age. You know, I suppose it's typical of of, uh, Irish families, if if anybody knows about the Irish culture, you know. (laughs) Like, we would come from Roman Catholic traditions. So within that, then, we had large families. So, um, like, I was the eldest of five children, and uh, I was five, and then it was down the steps of stairs, five of us all under the age of five, you know. So, um, and that was a lot to deal with. I was the eldest of those five, and and I took on roles such as protector and leader and, and all of that, and I was trying to cope all of the time with that, but I clearly remember wanting to escape from an early age. And that sense as well that a lot of sexaholics describe and I can describe as a sexaholic of just not belonging or there was something different or that there was a piece of me that I was going to keep for myself, you know, and protect for myself. Um, And I carried that throughout all of my years, throughout the teenage years, the school going years into the the twenties, thirties. I'm not going to go any further. You know, I don't need to be revealing then how old I was, but you can imagine <laughs> I'm around here a long time. So, at the end of the day, I suppose there's a huge history here, and part of my journey looking for the solution involved going to a lot of counselors, and um, you know, just trying to figure it out. What was that missing piece? Trying to put the pieces together, um, and I've. I had tried every methodology that was known within the, the, the psychological realms um, to do with, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, gestalt, you name it. I went to all of them and I was very, very lucky. In around 2003, 2004, I came across a good counselor who had heard about uh, this type of addiction. Um, and she pointed me in the right direction by saying, look, I think you've got a, a problem with this addiction here and you need to be referred on to maybe a fellowship. So now I was being brought out of this isolated uh, position that I was in. You know, I'd isolated from family. All the relationships were failing and failing fast. And I was caught up in this whirlwind of just acting up behaviours. And I remember just to, to recall, she just said to me, I was very, particularly once social media got going, I was in a bad way with that. And I remember she said to me, now, I want you to just leave your phone here. Don't touch it now and don't look at it again. And if you leave it here, it'll solve everything. Um, it's just about the phone, really. And, and, and I think that's how she came upon the fact that I actually couldn't do that. I had to have the phone because that was my method of connecting, of misconnecting. I found that out in essay, my method of misconnecting. So um, she uh, referred me on to another S fellowship, 
not the fellowship that I'm in now. And when I went to the first meeting of that S fellowship, it's like, you know, it all just started to come together for me. You know, I was hearing other people's stories and I realized, you know what? Yes, I do have a serious issue here. Um, I am powerless because I'm just not able to stop. No matter what the consequences are, I'm not able to stop. Um, And I was listening to other people. But unfortunately for me, there was a facility there around setting your own bottom lines. And setting bottom lines for Miriam meant that I was going to be very generous with myself and my bottom lines. So um, you can imagine, as all addicts, um, I was going to take advantage of that and try to find the best way to control and enjoy my drug, which was lost. Um, And I was in that fellowship for a little time and it wasn't quite working for me. So I just quit. I felt I had the inside. I had a little bit of of information. Knowledge was power. Of course, we know that no amount of knowledge could make us well. And I was still on the periphery of fellowship. I was still isolating. I was still doing it my way. It describes it in the big book, Self-Will Run Right, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which, of course, this book is is based on. And Roy, Roy Kay, thank God, was able to, to work with the big book to give us this white book we have today. So that meant I was eight years then out there. And they were the worst eight years of my life. I can happily, well, not happily, but I can with certainty say that. Eight years going around, trying to control, trying to enjoy. And we talk about the progressive nature of the disease and all of those secrets and all of that hiding and trying to manage an absolutely unmanageable, chaotic life. And it's described in the big book as the tornado, you know. But of course, in my disease, I always believed I wasn't harming anybody else. If anyone was getting hurt, it was just me. You know, I know different now. And as my sponsor always says, when you know different, you'll do better. When you know better, you'll do better. She always used to say that to me. And at the time, I didn't know any better. And that's where the whole healing comes around in the steps, you know. So um, I, I came to, I'd say, what we describe as my Annus Horribilis the worst year of my life was in 2012. Um, Every single boundary that I thought I would never cross, ever, in my whole life because of my upbringing, my values, just that intrinsic sacredness that is in all of us. All of those boundaries I crossed, every single one of them. And, you know, um, that was very traumatic. That was very, very tough. And how was I going to recover from that? There was times I couldn't see the way back. And those times were very, very dark. And I know there are plenty of people in the room who who will understand what I'm talking about there. There were times when I just felt like I just had to end all of this because I have no control over what's happening in my life. And I'd gone into some very, very dangerous situations with my acting out behaviours. And I couldn't stop. I was powerless. I was powerless. I was caught up in the problem and I couldn't stop. And the progression, it was very, very frightening. Towards the end of my acting out days, the, the progression of the behaviours was phenomenal, is the only way I can describe it. Um, 
and yet I couldn't stop. You know that that looking back at that now, you know it it's you know it's a, it's a healthy fear I have when I think back on it. Really, you know where all of this was taking me, and by the grace of God, the higher power, there was a part of me that wanted to live. There was a beautiful part of me, uh, given to me by my higher power that wanted to live, and I remembered back then in 2013. Uh, 2012, 2013, I had been to an essay meeting back in 2005, maybe. And I had met a member of essay. And I knew that essay um, had a different bottom line, different sobriety definition. Maybe this could work for me. Um, and all of the things that had happened to me in the interim period, even though they were very, very difficult times and very dangerous uh, and soul-destroying times, I now understand that every one of those things had to happen to bring me to where I am today it, to, in, in, in recovery, you know. And uh, it, it, it's hard and it's tough, but if the outcome is that I, I get to, to share with you, like, and to be sit here sharing with you today, then it is worth it for that. For that. So um, I, I started going to, to SA then, and, um, and it was just, it transformed my life. I met people in fellowship, the importance of reaching out to others. You know, here in Ireland, we have very few women. So typically I'd be the only woman in a room, but I was just so, so sick. I was so ill and I wanted to live and I knew I had to get to my meetings. That was important. They explained that to me from the get-go. You have to get your meetings. And just to share uh, what what I did to, to get to fellowship and to um, to enjoy fellowship and to benefit from, from fellowship, I live uh, in, I don't live in the capital city of Ireland, so I would have had to travel. So I was traveling five hours to get to a meeting, two hours to get there, an hour at the meeting and two hours back. And uh, all day Saturday, I would be taken up with meetings but my sponsor explained, you have to be prepared to go to any lengths, any lengths to recover, you know, to get sober first, just to stop acting out first, but then to recover and to be prepared to go to any lengths. So, um, and, and often people would say, if you, if you had a terminal illness, would you travel and would you do it so many times a week in order to get well? The answer was yes. And the welcome that I got in the rooms of Sexaholics Anonymous was phenomenal, you know. The generosity of the sharing and all of the things that I thought I could never, ever share with another human being, I started to hear in the rooms. And I started to make uh, connections with other people. A lot of the, the, the acting out behaviours and the experiences were different, but the one thing that we had in common was that spiritual malady. And that powerlessness over lost. And to understand for me that the, that the acting out behaviors were just mere symptoms of a much deeper malady. And that was the spiritual malady. And that was phenomenal. And, you know, the most precious gift anyone can give us is the gift of their time. And people gave me a lot of time. And in early recovery, because there weren't that many women in Ireland and I did manage to get a sponsor straight away, I... We, you know, there were long-term sober members in Ireland from the 1980s on, 
Um, we had a convention there recently and the, 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 the three founding members in Ireland of SA, they spoke um, at that convention. And uh, it was just a privilege. It, it was very moving to hear their story and how they supported one another in the early days and the sobriety definition and how they struggled with all of that and the clarity that they needed to get on that. And if they hadn't come in to the, to, to the rooms as a, in a fellowship context, where would I be today? The door wouldn't be open for me. And there's every possibility I wouldn't even be here to talk to you today because that's how serious my illness is. So I'll be forever grateful to the fellowship, the people who kept turning up, even when there was nobody there at times, who kept showing up day after day to, to, to bring their experience, strength and hope, their struggles, but also um, how they work the steps, the solution bringing it into the room you know that that was one of the things that that we um shared recently in fellowship and talking about fellowship as well just to be able to make those phone calls pick up the phone difficult as i said as well when there were just a few um women in the fellowship but we did know that there were long-term sober members who could be trusted servants who would be able to help out and who would give generously of their time as well that was very very important uh, in early recovery in the early days of, of fellowship. Um, just to speak as well about um, maybe the, 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 the group recovery, you know, the, the group inventory as well. I mean, every, for me, anyway, my experience around that is that, you know, I come to a group, uh, the home group, and when I come to that home group, I'm bringing my experience, strength and hope with it. But I'm also responsible for carrying the message of essay in the room, you know. So it's important for me that, and important for the fellowship that the group would have fairly serious recovery in it. I mean, I can hear that here tonight, you know, and that people would be committed to recovery within the fellowship and within the group. And how important that is to the overall wellness of the group and the individual. If I'm going into a home group or going into a group, um, I like to hear about the solution too. Um, I like to hear about the literature, uh, about people's perceptions of how the literature has affected their lives, uh, how they have worked the steps on various issues that would arise in their lives. And I also like to hear about their positive sobriety. You know, I mean, for me, I we have to live in the real world, you know, um, we have to live in, in a society and we are countercultural, and as it's often been pointed out in this society, in a society that has now deemed a lot of behaviours to be quite acceptable, if not, um, you know, norms. Um, I sometimes find myself countercultural to that. I sometimes find myself removing myself from um, from gatherings and contexts that I feel are are not helpful to my recovery, and that can be triggering or that can lead me down a path that I, I just don't want to spend any, any energy on because as we all know as sexaholics, all I have to do is maybe see something or, you know, or hear something and I might have a battle with that. You know, I might have to surrender, surrender, surrender with that. And I don't expose myself to those things. So I need to be in a fellowship that gives me that strength and that grounding in that home group setting, if, if you like. Um, and as I said, sharing on, on uh, the quality 
of of sobriety it is fantastic you know in the groups especially here in Ireland I find as well um just talking then about um just to touch on the the, the service uh, and fellowship you know as one of the the long-term sober members here in Ireland said you know he said if we don't share it we can't keep it you know if we don't give it away we can't keep it so whatever we got in, in the rooms, whatever we got from our, our fellow members, whatever we got from the long-term sober members and, and the wider fellowship, we can't keep any of that unless we give it away. And to give it away with a sense of generosity, because I know my sobriety depends on that. Um, so in that, in that sense, service has become a very important part, service to the fellowship of SA. And it really, I suppose, for me, I I have, you know, been privileged to be asked to serve. I, I've been privileged to be trusted, you know, coming from a place of where nobody could trust anything I'd say. I couldn't trust anything I'd say or do. To be trusted uh, within within this fellowship is absolutely amazing. And, you know, starting off with in the home group, maybe just doing secretary, maybe doing treasurer, you know, and as we build on our sobriety, uh, doing other service roles. And, you know, I do service at EMER level uh, and I do service at intergroup level and it's a privilege. It's a privilege and it, it works towards serving the fellowship, the, the fellowship that served me to give give back, you know. And um, that's what I, I would see about, and it cultivates um, that spirit of generosity within the fellowship and it encourages others to to serve as well so that has been an important part of my recovery thank you and just finally as well then just to talk about the that first intimate relationship that true intimacy that true connection that I had with my sponsor and it's so important for me to have a sponsor that I can trust and you know when I was taking my steps and thinking oh I never can share this this is horrific stuff you know and to, to have that uh, person that I could share all of that with and to be able to to be able to discard the shame and the remorse it comes back you know there's times we we, we we reflect but I always know I do not regret the past nor wish to shut the door and that I have taken the steps and I've shared with my sponsor and all of the hope that came from that you know uh, from sharing and taking the steps around the forgiveness piece um, and being able to become healthy around all of the behaviours and that kind of thing. I, I often hear people saying they're stuck in the shame and they can't move on from the shame. But, you know, this is where I must understand about illness. I was ill. I have potential to be ill if I don't work these steps. And as somebody previously said when they were introducing themselves, you know, I'm sober today. It's all contingent on working uh, the program of Sexaholics Anonymous. And I just like to sort of, uh, it's nice, as I said, to have that intimacy with, with another sexaholic in the form of your sponsor and then to sponsor others as a result as well. And I'd just like to finish up on, on this note, and I've been going on and on, but um, I suppose it's just there in the solution. And what wonderful literature we have, you know, every time I read it, something new pops out, you know. Uh, we were finding what the substitutes uh, when none of the substitutes had supplied, uh, we were finding the real connection. We were home. 
And what a beautiful sentiment to end on here in uh, with you all this evening. So look, I'll leave it at that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Daniel, for your service. Miriam, fantastic share. Thank you so much for coming on with us this morning. You hit all this, all the important subjects, that's for sure. All the important talking points there. Um, yeah, I had a transformative experience too. And I guess my question is, um, you know, I had to travel quite a ways too in the beginning. And uh, I was fortunate enough um, to meet a couple of sexaholics near my home and we started a new meeting. So I was wondering if you've had that experience that you uh, were able to start a meeting or find a meeting closer to home. Thanks again. Hi Hans, at the moment I'm on online uh, meetings um, and that seems to be, you know, doing the trick, keeping keeping me sharpened up and keeping me on, on track with my sobriety. But I, I appreciate what you said, and it's just another prompt for me to try and see, can I get a few to join me now? So thank you for that. Thanks, Hans and Miriam. Rachna, you're next. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks so much. Uh, I was not okay since two days and uh, you really made my evening. I'm Rachna from India. Um, my sobriety and journey started last year, 25th May. I have a sponsor still on step zero. There is a lot and I'm revisiting also. So my question to you is, uh, can, you, uh, can you tell me more about doing a service and when is the right time to start doing that? So I would be really uh, happy to hear on that. Thank you. Uh, hi, Rashna. Um, thank you for your comment. Uh, in our groups, we see what the need of the group is. So we allow people to do secretary at three months um, for treasurer and some of the other roles. And liter you know, lit literature you can do at three months as well here. But for some of the other roles, you'd have to have a year's sobriety, all right. Um, and service begins at a very, very small uh, point where you actually show up for your meetings and you share your experience, strength and hope. And that is service. And it's so important, too. And thank you. Thanks, Miriam. Thanks so much. Thanks, Rachna. Miriam. Martina, you're next. You'll have to unmute, Martina. Excuse me. So I repeat, thank you so much, Miriam. I could relate so much, especially the early child escape and romantic fantasies and stuff. And I have to admit that I was curious to see you because I've been your sponsee for a short while, about five years ago, I think. And I already knew you are a wonderful person because I've been your sponsee quite a while ago and I've never seen you. So I was quite curious to see you. And um, my question is already answered, and I'm very touched and very grateful for your share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Martina. Uh, next up, Nancy. Hi, Miriam. So thank you so much for sharing. This was really inspiring for me, really inspiring. The distance that you traveled, um, I can relate to that. My car has... 300,000 miles. I, I bought it with 25. Um, that's 482 kilometers. And there's the recovery, recovery miles. Um, it is worth it. 
I have a couple, I guess a couple of questions. You talked about group inventory, um, how you do that a little bit. And then the other one is you're talking service. How soon do you encourage people to sponsor? Thanks. Um, with regard to the, the sponsoring, you know, we have so little um, in terms here of our, in Ireland. So if I can get a woman ahead on a few steps, um, then she'll start sponsoring straight away. You know, if she's a two or three steps ahead of the sponsor, you know, but we have the link. So nobody can sponsor unless they have a sponsor. So we have that link going between us there. That's that. And what else did you say, Nancy, about oh, the group inventory? That all comes from Alcoholics Anonymous. They have a template for group inventory. We bring in maybe somebody who would have a lot of experience in SA to come to the group and do the inventory. We would select a time for that to happen. And we would have different issues that we need to discuss. So um, and it's, it's worth the two because, you know, it pushes on the recovery of the group. Thank you very much. I had not heard about someone coming in. Thank you so much. Thanks, Nancy. And just a reminder for folks to mute unless you're talking. Uh, next up would be Federico. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Daniel. And um, yeah, thank you, Miriam, for your share. Really good to hear it. Uh, I just wanted to share share back, really, that, um, yeah, I just, you know, basically identified all the way down the line from the childhood stuff you you shared. Very, very similar to my, my story. Also very similar that kind of uh, knowing and analyzing uh, also didn't bring me to a solution uh, either. And uh, and the importance of step zero. Uh, my sponsor really underlines step zero. I, I got sober as a loner as well. Uh, and connecting with the fellowship, making an effort uh, to get into the center of the life, but so crucial uh, to, you know, to staying alive, uh, basically, and still is, uh, still is today. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for your share. Thank you, Federico. And let's go ahead and open it up for folks with fewer than 30 days of sobriety as well. If you have a question or concern that you'd like to, to ask, feel free to do that. And uh, let's see, Claudia, you're next. Hi, <clears throat> thank you, Daniel. Thank you, Miriam, for your share. <laughs> oh, that was so great. I did not understand anything, but your power, I love it. <laughs> really, so much love is coming through. I really enjoyed listening to you. And, oh, I'm so happy to have more women to get to know and women who are really yeah in the program and doing the work and whatever it's it's great to get to know you and i have a question around your relationship with your higher power or your in your understanding your god how you how you're doing there if you want to Share a little bit on it. Um, yeah. Or, or your past to believe, pay, uh, your pay way to believe or. One minute. Yeah. Thank you. Yes. Um, I call my higher power God. Um, and it is, you know, as it's described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the spirit of the universe. And uh, for me, 
the interconnection between all living things and sentient beings. You know, that's that's what it is for me. And I experience my higher power through the literature that we have in Sexaholics Anonymous, um, through through the nature. Because when I was in the depths of lust, I couldn't see anything. I couldn't feel anything. I was numb. And it's fantastic, as we say, to get the feelings back and to be able to be truly present. Um, mm -hmm. And that's how I experienced it now today. And I could go on forever. I, I won't do that to all the people want to share. Thank you. Thank for the you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Claudia. Let's see whose hand is up now. Um, there's a comment in the chat. I can get there. Well, I can't. Go ahead, Nancy, with your comment. I can't read it now. I chat won't open for me. Yeah, I was going to say, Miriam is not limited to one minute in her share. Um, you're not limited by that, Miriam. Um, I don't know if there was something more you wanted to say about your higher power, but just to let you know that. Good point. Thank you, Nancy. So we still have time for sharing. I don't see any virtual hands up. Uh, but if you'd like to just simply unmute and speak up, you, you can ask a question, make a comment, or share. Anna, I would like to ask a question. Go ahead, Anna. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Miriam, for your share. Um, very inspiring. Um, and um, I also was interested in um, your what you said about group inventory. Um, uh, so there's some you have somebody coming in, and then. <laughs> Could you maybe elaborate a little more on that? Thank you. Well, I think there would be a discussion within the group about maybe areas that they would like to improve upon or maybe some ideas, for example, around, you know, maybe developing more interaction with the group. Um, and like, you know, we'd have gratitude days and things like that. And, you know, coming up with more ideas around how the group could be helped to to improve on the sobriety. And, some groups would would maybe have a lot of of chronic relapse um, and it's to be able to take cognizance of that and to be able to look at it and say how can we now look at how we can you know maybe improve the the sobriety within the group you know is there need for more contact is there need for you know is it, has everybody got a sponsor do we have temporary sponsors you know, how how are we going to look at that? And I think that's all very, very beneficial for a group. And, and you know, when, when the level of sobriety would increase on the group, everyone benefits then. But we can't know anything until we do inventory. And I found that, and we found here in Ireland, that it's best if we bring somebody from outside in to do that because um, they're independent then and they can give us their observations and they can provide a structure or to do that inventory and it's a nice day you know we you know you could have your your teas your coffees your breaks come back to the room it's really beneficial and it really helps the group to you know solidify that sort of journey around sobriety is that all right yeah so you do a whole day you could do a day you could do a half day you know, it's up to the group, whatever you decide. Uh, I think it's it's worth putting time into and spending time in fellowship afterwards, you know, maybe getting some, I know this, uh, getting in some food, sitting around, sharing fellowship um, and also, in, uh, but on the other side, improving 
on that culture. It's the culture of sobriety I'm talking about. And it's so important for all of us. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Anna and Miriam. Uh, next up, Christina. Yes, hi, Miriam. Thank you so much. I identified a lot. I was nearly speechless because <clears throat> I was in another S fellowship uh, and it got worse and worse and worse. And I have been in an SA meeting before and I remembered of this. And I listened to you and I thought, never heard someone telling that it's wonderful. Yes, my question is something else. Uh, it's how long is your meeting? One hour, one and a half, two hours? <laughs> Are you talking about the meetings in Ireland? Your home group. Oh, oh yeah, it's, it's the hour. We, uh, one, we hour. Stick one hour. One hour, yeah. yeah. Of course, people would go after where the, the meeting is the structure. But then afterwards, people might enjoy fellowship um, afterwards. And that's very important, too. You know, I didn't mention that when I was talking, but just that little cup of tea afterwards. We always we love our tea in Ireland, as you know. <laughs> so we're always having cups of tea together and going for a chat afterwards. And that was kind of awkward, too, when you were the only woman there, because you had to trust, you know, that uh, you're watching boundaries. And that's where I learned boundaries. You know, I can tell you today I have friends male friends, I thought I never could have that, you know, because I'd objectified men. And uh, I learned all about friendship. And then part of that was going for the cup of tea afterwards when I used to do those long days and uh, uh, investing in my recovery because anything I put before that is just going to go. We know that. We can't put anything priority over recovery. And I'm glad I, I knew that in the early days, you know. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Christina. Uh, Kelvin, you're up. Then we have a question from the chat. So, Kelvin. Hey, thank you, Miriam. Uh, Kelvin in uh, Baltimore, Maryland, United States. Um, uh, my, my question would be, uh, how often uh, are you able to, uh, with the spouses, like let's say you got the, the sexaholic who's uh, – who's, you know, whether he's a man or the, or the female that's in the room, how often do you, do you guys in Ireland get together with the spouses, uh, like, collectively, where where you have, like, the Essendoner or the, uh, the Essayer coming together through just through some fellowship or through some workshop conversations? How often does that occur in Ireland? Yeah, thank you, Kelvin. We we have three conventions per annum. We were having those face to face before the pandemic. We haven't been able to have one all through the pandemic, but we always on a Saturday evening there we always have space for uh, a shared SASNM fellowship, um, and we would have an SA speaker and SNN speaker, um, and they're they're the only times we really really would come together with with SNMs. So I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. I just, want to, I just want to thank you also for your lead today. And I, I was also impressed by the fact that you said there wasn't a lot of women 
and you still kept coming back. And I too can relate to that because as a, a black man in, in these rooms, there's not too many of us. And, and so I had to really put that to the side and, and get recovery to save uh, my well-being, my family. So thank you. Thanks, Kelvin. And uh, yeah, the question that came to us uh, in, in chat was, Miriam, could you speak a little bit to uh, step zero? Nancy, I don't know if you wanted to add anything to that question or not, since uh, you forwarded that chat to me. Yeah. Um You're, you're muted, Nancy. Yeah, you quoted from page 63 in the white book, which is the chapter getting started. Um, and I don't know if you include more in step zero from that chapter, or if you could go just talk yeah. about what you do with your sponsees for step zero. Well, step zero it really is, is the early days, you know, it's, it, it's withdrawal you know, from the behaviours, Nancy. That's my experience of it. And uh, um, and how difficult, I, I just feel reflecting there, how difficult that would have been during the pandemic for people as well, you know, and they wouldn't have had the face-to-face. -face. Uh, and we set up a really, really good system here in Ireland for newcomers, um, whereby they would, they would, we would bring them on virtual meetings with two uh, existing members and bring them into meetings and get a temporary sponsor immediately. So part of that step zero before they start taking it, step one is all of that early stuff around the withdrawal and around getting a temporary sponsor if you can't get a, a, um, a full-time sponsor. Um, it's about stopping, as you know, it's about stopping behaviours. And it's about being very sensitive then around all the other addictions that pop up around that time and it was very much like that for me actually Nancy as well I mean I came into SA first then into AA you know a lot of people have that kind of a story where they would be another 12-step program um, and other addictions just took off when I started on my journey with, with SA you know and it's about looking at that and it's about supporting around all of that with with a new a newcomer as well in, in the step zero and just for the to do a little bit of service as well you know even if it's just you know something simple like putting out chairs whatever like that just getting involved in fellowship encouraging that in the step zero encouraging that spirit of collegiality um, and commitment commitment starting to commit you know as my sponsor said are, are you around now or are you a member are you just around or you know are you going to commit to this thing you know as well and uh, the surrender you know putting down the tools putting down lust um, and this and the, and the very simple little direction that we got as well Nancy when we first learned the language of lust I mean I didn't know I, I was losting until I heard other people describing their acting out behaviors and it all started to fit in to, to get in touch with what the language of lost is uh, and then just that surrender piece, you know, um, not looking, big one, you know, God bless you, God help me when we look and God let me find in you what I'm looking for in him, her, that, it, whatever it is. You know, um, those simple little things in the step zero, just as, as a kind of a guide. 
and then finally just acceptance you know because um it's very hard to accept it was very hard for me in early recovery and withdrawal before in the step zero that acceptance around that certain aspects of my life were going to have to change uh, it was a whole attitudinal change and things were going to have to to you know let's not say I don't want to be negative about saying they had to go, they were gone, whatever like that. But I chose change to change because nothing, if nothing changes, nothing changes. So for me, that's what step, step zero is about with the sponsee. You know, I think you were referring to the sponsee there. It's around being cognizant of all of those little elements um, as they arise in, uh, in early recovery there and to be able to get that surrender piece going, you know, with the support. Does that make sense, Nancy? Did I? Uh, yeah, it does. There's a, a sub question here from the same person. Um, let's see. In doing service honestly by seeking God's help and also unconditionally bring you in pride, how fragile is it? Because um, you talked about doing service right away. Um, and is step zero pretty much about connecting with people and getting the support in the beginning. Um, and that's it. You just move right into step one then? Yes. Well, pretty much. I, I would, I'm always, I've always been sort of in my own recovery. I can only speak for myself, but the sooner you get on the steps, the better, you know? I mean, there is that moment of realization, you know, I am powerless over this. Uh, and, and usually one's life has become totally un, uh, uh, unmanageable by the time you come into SA. Um, and it's around supporting the pieces that I, I, I spoke about earlier on and then getting straight on to, to step one. Yeah, I've always been, that's been sort of my, that's what the way I work with sponsees anyway. We, we, and, and, you know, the, the steps are, are spiral too. You know, it just because you go to one doesn't mean you're not going to be a leg on one and not a leg on two. You know, I mean, you're going to be over and back with stuff. I mean, we're we're just human. It's just be cognizant of the fact that there are, is a step zero. And, and that's a step we have in this program. We're very lucky to have it. It's around surrender and acceptance. And they're big when you come into SA, you know. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Miriam. Uh, we have three more people on our list, Daniel, Rich, and Juan Carlos. Let's see if we can get through uh, all three. We're sort of running close on the time. Let's go with Daniel next. Hey, thanks so much. I'm uh, Daniel Westaholic. I really appreciate your shares. Uh, I find it real challenging to have friendships with uh, women. I'm full-time dads. I look after my kids and uh, more moms around. And there are just some moms that feel like, two in particular, I should. I would like to have a normal friendship, uh, not getting into all the details of their life, but I just find that any interaction I have with them, the obsession kicks up, that call and go to meetings to just flush it. So I was really curious, you mentioned, you know, having healthy friendships with people of the opposite gender. And um, I just love any thoughts on how you got to that point and any ways you could elaborate on it. Because it's one of those things I'm not sure if I just need to cut those, like not, not develop those friendships anymore um or if i'm just totally missing something here thanks so much really appreciate it well, i'm so glad you mentioned that daniel you know 
Um, I'm the, the very, very same, get total identification with that. You know, one of the things I've had to, to accept is I am a sexaholic and that's my go-to and that's the way I'm programmed. And I didn't get cured the day I walked into the doors of Sexaholics Anonymous. I'm still a sexaholic. I have to accept that. And as that, I have to put in boundaries, boundaries in the way I interact. And I always have to pause and check myself. Check. What is my intention here? Why am I texting? Why am I talking? You know, and the truth will come. We know the truth. And when I've examined that piece and I've understood what my intention is, then I can say, you know, this I need to move away from and fast. And I need to surrender that. Pick up the phone and tell somebody. Never keep any of that stuff to yourself. And in the early days, that was what was happening. But with the fruit of time and moving on, you know, it does get easier. I'm not saying it's 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 never going to be an issue. It is, you know. Um, but what we learn, we learn as we go along. And it would be very, very sad if I was saying to you here now, well, that's not it's always going to be really, really, you know, difficult, really, really challenging and all of that. Um, where's the recovery and all of that? You know, but I must be forever vigilant and forever checking. And and that's what I do. And that's how I've managed to keep uh, healthy boundaries with male members. And I can call them friends because it, it, the, the spiritual basis of what I have grown and developed over the years has kicked in big time for me now at this point. But I don't take it for granted ever. And I keep watching and vigilant. So I hope that answers it. Uh, it's so thoughtful. Thanks so much. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Miriam, for your share. I think it's, the, it's the only the a few uh, speaker meetings that I have attended. And since the very uh, beginning, I have been listening about uh, recovery and solution. Uh, that's great for me because, you know, uh, when I am listening about the past, about the problem, I can relate with many acting out. But in yours, uh, I can listen and understand and learn from yours, from your, uh, well, shares. And that's for me very important. Uh, so I thanks a lot your shares and also the opportunity to be connected in this fellowship. So thank you very much, Miriam. Thank you, Juan Carlos. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.